Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Let's have a look at this little storybook. Who's ever seen one of those? What does everybody say? How would all the animals fit on Noah's Ark? But the sad thing is this, when you grow up with that sort of thinking, look what happens. Here's a newspaper man. He's telling four million people in Melbourne that's what Noah's Ark looked like. That's just a fraction of the size of the real Noah's Ark. I tell you what, it certainly doesn't show the skill and craftsmanship of ancient people. But tonight we're going to show you what it really looked like, how big it was, and lots of interesting things as well. In fact, most people don't realise this, folks. Noah's Ark and the Genesis Flood is one of the three major events that ever happened in the whole world. Number one, of course, was creation. Is that true? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number two was the worldwide flood of Noah. Folks, it wasn't a local flood. And number three was the coming of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, here we see the great love of God when our Creator actually became our Saviour. See, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. By Him, that's Jesus Christ, all things were made, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So you see, turning water into wine wasn't the first miracle of Jesus Christ. It was actually the creation of the whole universe. Anyway, why did God send the flood? Remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us we are created special in the image of God. Who believes that tonight? Because we are different, aren't we? We're distinct from the rest of the animal kingdom. And of course, in the beginning, everything was very good. The Bible says not just good, but it was very good. See, in the beginning, there was no death, no sickness or violence. Adam and even all the animals ate fruit, nuts and veggies. It was an absolute wonderful paradise. Well, what happened? Because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, is that true? First, because of their sin and their rebellion, God cursed the world. That's where death came into the world for the very first time. <clears throat> there was no death, of course, before the sin of Adam. Later on, Cain killed Abel, then Lemek killed a young man. 1,500 years later, we come to the days of Noah and the flood when Noah was 500 years old, but just middle-aged. Tell me, who'd like to be 500 and middle-aged? But I don't mean a worn-out old man. I mean fit in a 35-year-old, folks, today. You know, uh, I go into a lot of schools and I get the little kids up the front and I often say, Who's got a grandpa 500 years old? I tell you what, you should see all those hands go up from all the kids. It's amazing when you get to be a grandpa how old they really think you are, I tell you. But you know, when God created Adam, he was created to live forever, is that true? See, eventually he died at 930 because of sin. Anyway, Noah was the father of Shem, Ham and Japheth this time. At this particular time, there's a tremendous increase in population, but sadly, a great increase in wickedness. Remember how good it was in the beginning? Folks, listen to what it says in Genesis 6-5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination, folks, every thought of the heart was evil continually. Tell me, who believes we need to be careful what we watch on TV or on the computer, even in magazines, folks? That's why it tells us in Philippians 4 verse 8, doesn't it? To set your mind on things that are good, folks, things that are true, things that are honest, and things that are pure. And like Noah, we need to avoid the bad stuff. Amen? Anyway, God confided in Noah, told him because of all the violence and all the evil going on, he's going to bring a great flood. And this flood, by the way, would cover the whole world. And so he gave Noah detailed instructions on building the ark. Now, a lot of people would say, how could ancient people build such a massive structure? Well, once again, folks, their problem is they never read the Bible. Anybody heard of Tubal Cain? 
For it's 1,000 years before Noah built the ark, Tubal came as an expert in making tools out of iron and bronze. At the same time, Jubal was an expert in making musical instruments. You see, ancient people were incredibly intelligent. Just look at the great buildings in Rome and Greece. Are they still standing there today? Amazing, isn't it? Uh, Nancy and I were over in Rome. We, we took these photos of the Colosseum. What an amazing building actually built 2,000 years ago. Anyway, the pyramids were incredible. Anyone like the pyramids? Folks, these are amazing, I tell you. Do you know the original capping stones on these pyramids? They weighed about two and a half tons each. There were thousands of them. The tolerance between those stones, 0.25 of a millimetre. Well, how do they do that? Nobody's figured that out yet. We don't even know how they did that sort of stuff. And so, folks, if we go back to Adam, we find that God created him perfect, brilliant in the image of God. And by the way, programmed from the very beginning with perfect language and perfect grammar. One day God said to Adam, he said, Adam, I want you to name all those animals. Tell me, did Adam have any trouble? I don't know about you guys, but I get to number 10. I've forgotten the first one. I'm actually praying for the memory of Adam. Can you imagine going and doing a uni course with a memory like Adam? Amen. Folks, it might be three months instead of three years. So keep that's a good prayer if you like to pray it. Anyway, Noah would certainly have had all the tools, the skill, the technology to build the ark. Now, God told him to build this ark out of gopher wood. Well, there's lots of interpretations of gopher wood. Some say it's this tree, that tree, another tree. But one of them is actually a process laminated wood. Folks, can you imagine Noah's ark with the ribs half a metre thick? Then you had very thick planks, but multi-layers of them. And they're all fitted together, by the way, with mortise and tenon joints and then pinned through with dowels. Folks, the side of Noah's Ark would have been a metre thick like solid plywood. Who thinks that would have been pretty strong? Incredibly strong, wouldn't it? Amazing the strength, I tell you. And by the way, this process, we can prove back to 2000 BC and was used right up to the Roman times. Now, it had to be, of course, coated in pitch inside and out. But you know, the pitch wasn't just a waterproofing agent. It was also good for protection as well. <laughs> Anybody ever seen a show called Mythbusters? I saw this show one day and they were shooting at planks unprotected and they're splitting and breaking apart. But then they covered them in pitch. Folks, it's amazing how it absorbed the impact of the cannonball. It's, it's a little bit like laminated glass, if you know what I'm talking about. Amen? Very, very strong. Anyway, uh, many animals had to go on board this ark, of course, and Noah was told to build lots and lots of pens, lots of rooms for the animals. Here's just a few of them and what they may have looked like. Now, this ark had to be 300 cubits long. Well, cubit is from your elbow, the outstretched middle finger, half a metre on an average sized person, 300 cubits, 150 metres, three Olympic swimming pools connected end to end. Boy, does that look like that silly little boat in the newspaper article? It's a massive ship, isn't it? Even by today's standard. When I was a little boy, we come out from England as a migrant. Well, the ship we came out on was a converted World War II aircraft carrier. Folks, it was exactly the same length as Noah's Ark. Now, this Ark had to be 50 cubits or 25 metres wide. 30 cubits or 15 metres in height. Folks, that's the height of a four to five storey building. Amazing how big it was. Had a cubit window for, 
for light and ventilation and one door in the side. I haven't got time to go into detail on that tonight, but it had three levels too. Each level on Noah's Ark, as you can see, is very high, so there's no problem with very tall animals going on board of Noah's Ark. Now, you notice Noah's Ark down here doesn't have a, a sail, does it? A propeller, a rudder. Why is that? Folks, it wasn't going anywhere. See, the whole world was covered in water for five months. There's no port to land at for five months. Normal ships in the past have been built streamlined. Is that true? That's for speed and manoeuvrability. Go from Melbourne to Los Angeles. But Noah's Ark was only built for two reasons. Huge capacity and amazing stability. Now, if Noah was just a little guy like me, a cubit only that big, first you could hold 522 double-decker rail cars, 240 sheep per car. That's a total of 125,000 sheep. Amazing capacity, isn't it? That stability was absolutely incredible. You see, Korean and American naval architects, they've done extensive tests. What they found was this, that Noah's Ark was stable. Are you ready? 390 kilometre winds. Who thinks that's windy? Wow. Folks, 30 metre waves were no problem for Noah's Ark. It was proven to be 13 times more stable than the minimum requirements of American shipping. And the really interesting thing is today, folks, is that the new oil tankers they're building today are now being built more in the shape of Noah's Ark. Isn't that amazing? After all these years of naval architects, supercomputers, folks, this is what they're coming up with. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Anyway, God told Noah that two of every unclean animal, bird and creeping thing were going on board the ark. Does everybody here know that clean animals went in by sevens? Is that news to anybody today? See, in the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice bulls and sheep and goats and ducks, pointing to the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. It wasn't that many, but they actually went in by sevens. Now, I get skeptics coming up to me all the time saying, Rod, how could the hundreds of thousands of breed of animal, how would they ever fit on Noah's Ark? Folks, they forgot to read the Bible. The Bible's so clear. They went in according to kind, not breed. For example, let's consider the dog kind. Do you know there's hundreds of breed of dog in the world today? Every now and again, there's a new breed of dog. Where does that come from? Pretty obvious, two old breed of dog. Let's go back 100 years ago. Noah near the number of breed. Let's go right back to Noah. How many dogs did he need? Two original wolf-type dogs, two horses, two kangaroos. And of course, the clean animals, like the sheep, went in by sevens. You see, God, with his great creative ability, purposed a tremendous variety to adapt to niche conditions around the world. It's called natural selection. For example, the wolves have adapted, haven't they, to the snow and ice conditions of Canada and Alaska. Tell me, what would happen if your short-haired dog got left up there in the autumn? Oh, you'd freeze to death. You'd be meat for the wolves, I tell you, wouldn't you? You'd be better off, of course, like the dingo in Australia that's adapted to the hot and the warm conditions of Australia. Now, many people like Charles Darwin misinterpret this as evolution. This is not evolution, folks. It's simply diversity within God's created kind. And as with a dog kind, the many breeds are due to a loss or thinning out of genetic information. There's no gain in information. That's what you need for evolution to be true. It's always running the wrong way. Anyway, John Woodenraps, American scientist, this guy did an incredible intensive seven-year study, folks. And he worked out that only 16,000 animals, medium-sized that big, went on board Noah's Ark for 16,000, that's the medium size. Only 11% of all the animal life are larger than the sheep. The great majority, of course, are very, very tiny, aren't they? 
Now let's assume the large animals went in as babies or juveniles. That makes sense to anybody? Folks, if that's the case, they never had to clean up even. Who thinks that's a good idea? You know, in parts of Europe like northern Sweden, folks, they have animals under the house for seven months of the year, very cold winters. They use a method called deep litter, wood shaving, peat moss, straw, deep enough will easily last through that long, cold winter. It's been proven, by the way, to last over two years, so there's no cleaning up required on board of Noah's Ark. Anyway, Noah was now 600 years old when the flood came. The Bible tells us Noah built the ark, but God did two miracles, didn't he? See, God brought the animals and then God shut the door. Then, folks, a tremendous cataclysm happened. On the 17th day of the second month of the 600th year of Noah's life, the Bible tells us the fountains of the great deep burst open all over the world. Can you imagine that? Folks, it was now raining and pouring like a tropical storm, 40 days and 40 nights, earthquakes, volcanoes, all happening simultaneously. Folks, the dense ocean floor was now subducting into the mantle. Not slow and gradual as evolution teaches, folks. Incredible, catastrophic plague tectonics were happening here. Not only were the cities, the animals, you know, uh, everything, mankind destroyed, everything was just ripped up by these fast-moving waters Laying down layer upon layer upon layer. Anybody seen stuff like this, folks? You know the average depth of water-laid sediments worldwide? 1.6 kilometres deep, folks. Layer upon layer upon layer. How did that get here without a worldwide flood? Of course, the Grand Canyon is a great monument to the flood, I tell you. Here we see these layers, layer upon layer. We were over there. We checked it out ourselves. If you can imagine, folks, just... Uh, 12 coloured pancakes, one on top of the other. That's the Grand Canyon. But these layers, folks, run dead straight for hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, except to the Kaiba Bupwal. God's lifted up the whole plateau. Folks, those layers fold over each other like soft plasticine. Do you know why? Because everything was lifted up still soft and still wet. If you don't believe me, go home and try and bend your 10 centimetre concrete path and see what happens. Can you imagine trying to bend a kilometre thick of hard rock? It would shatter and break to pieces. It was all bent while it was still wet and still soft. And between these layers of the Grand Canyon, here we have a knife-edge difference. This is no problem for creationists. No doubt the people here tonight who believe in millions of years. Well, if you do, I've got a very big question for you. People who believe in millions of years tell us the bottom layer is 10 million years old in the top layer. My question is, how come there was no erosion between those layers for 10 million years? Is that a good question? Folks, has anybody ever been to Victoria in Australia and seen the 12 apostles? Hands up if you haven't been. Well, you better hurry up, I tell you. There's only seven left because of erosion in my lifetime. Folks, I was in England a few years ago. I was watching this documentary. Guy was pointed off the east coast of England into the very rough North Sea. You know what he said? Four and a half kilometres out there used to be a village just a few hundred years ago. Folks, there was a church built in a different place. 500 years ago, four kilometres from the coast. It's only half a kilometre from the coast now. Incredible erosion that's been happening on the English coast. Amen. Nancy and I have been over there. We checked things out. Have a look at this, folks. You've got roads leading to nowhere. But look at this. What we've got here is 
World War II bunkers 200 metres out to sea. During 1945, those bunkers were well inland. Amazing amount of erosion, isn't it? But getting back to my question, how come there was no erosion between those layers for 10 million years? That, doesn't make, that makes less sense, doesn't it? Folks, you know what makes good sense? Rapid deposition, that every layer was dumped rapidly on top of the other one before any erosion could take place. And guess what you find between layers? Raindrop impressions. Anyone know what a raindrop impression is? Imagine I've got some soft mud down there. A big raindrop hits, it makes a beautiful little circle. Well, the wind and the sun can destroy them, folks, in just minutes or hours. But you know what you find between layers? Perfectly preserved raindrop impressions. Can you tell me how long it was before the next layer went over the top? No time at all. Folks, there was layer upon layer upon layer being laid down by the great flood at the time of Noah. Anyway, as the floodwaters receding, there's also evidence of huge lakes that form, like these big ones in North America. Now, the breach of these lakes and the receding floodwaters are now believed by many scientists around the world to have carved out features like the Grand Canyon rapidly rather than slowly. Has anybody heard of David Attenborough? Well, David Attenborough said the Grand Canyon took 40 million years to carve out. I want to give you some evidence tonight. takes nowhere near that time. See, in Mount St. Helens in the 1980s, there was incredible volcanic activity happening. Mud flows. Look at this. In just a few hours in one day, folks, eight metres of strata was laid down in just a few hours in one day. But altogether, folks, 200 metres high. That's about 60 times as high as this ceiling was laid down in no time at all. Then what happened was a lot of water built up at the top of this volcano. First it burst open one day. This incredible flood, a mudslide, ripped down the mountain. Look what it did. It carved out a 140 scale Grand Canyon. Now on David Attenborough's time frame, that would have taken about a million years. But how long did it really take? Well, one day it wasn't there. The next day it was. Can you tell me why you need 40 million for the real one? You just need a lot more water. Is that true? Like the worldwide flood at the time of Noah. People don't today get their head around the incredible devastation. Because what we're looking at here, folks, a little tiny pimple of events compared to the incredible forces that would have been unleashed in the great flood of Noah. Anyway, uh, Mount St. Helens in the 1980s, uh, with, uh, <coughs> all the mountains were covered, I should say. Uh, all land-dwelling, air-breathing animals, birds, creeping things, perished, folks. In fact, the, every life on the whole world was just wiped off very, very quickly. But who's glad Noah was alive, amen? And, you know, uh, the ark floated for an incredible 150 days before coming to rest on the mountains of Ararat. A few months later, of course, Noah sent out the dove the second time. And, of course, uh, Noah now knew that the land was drying out. The vegetation was regrowing. And eventually, after 371 days, God told Noah to leave the ark. Of course, I get, you know, skeptics coming up to me all the time saying, Rod, where did the water go? Folks, can you see any water up there? Can you see a little Folks, the world is 72% in area water, only 28% land. Let's flatten down all the land all over the world. Let's uplift those extremely deep oceans. 
Let's make everything dead flat like this floor. There's enough water to cover the whole world by nearly three kilometres deep. Folks, we drive over most of Australia. Most of the land is only about 300 metres above sea level. See, apart from a few mountain ranges around the world, most land is very low. The water's still here. Psalm 104, 5 to 9 tells us, God pushed up those mountains. You see, pancake layers of strata were crunched up like the Himalayan mountains and the covered in seashell fossils to the top of the mountain. Some mountains have been found with fish fossils that big, folks, at the top of the mountain because they're underwater at the time of the flood of Noah. Anyway, God now told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the world with people. How long would it take to fill the whole world with people? How many people live in the world today? Over 7 billion. 7.65 billion people lived in the world, live in the world today, folks. But tell me, do I look very old? No, you're very kind. See, dear, I told you. Folks, 7.65 billion live in the world today. Just before I was born, 2 billion. Let's go back 350 years ago, half a billion. Folks, if you're a mathematician doing graphs, it's impossible on the population graph to go back beyond the time of Noah. Of course, if you watch David Attenborough and all those historical films, oh, man's been roaming around for a million years. Well, tell me, where's the evidence for that? Absolutely zero, folks. You know the dating methods? They've got more holes than the watering can. Because you, I haven't got time to go into that, but come and see me. If you've got any you know, questions on that sort of thing. More holes than a watering can. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> like I said, uh, all the people have come from Shem, Ham, Japheth, and the one. Noah's the great grandfather of everyone in the, in the world today. But of course, a lot of people come up to me and say, yeah, but Rod... What about the African people? What about the Asian people? What about the Aborigines? Well, folks, there's only one race in the world. It's called the human race. Is that true? We've all got the same colouring in our skin called melanin. All depends on how little you've got for how light you are, how much you've got for how dark you are, everything in between. Well, folks, people who are mid-brown, guess what? They have the genes to go darker or lighter in just one generation. What do you think about this? They had twins. I was, in, I was in Western Australia last year. This Aboriginal lady came up to me, one of 15 Aboriginal children. All the brothers and sisters were very dark, dark eyes. She was blue-eyed and pale as skin because it's just in the mix of the genes. Interesting, isn't it? It's easy to see what happened at the Tower of Babel, isn't it? Folks, God got angry with them. He split them up into little groups. That's where all the languages started from and the genetic makeup to develop people groups to adapt to different conditions around the world, folks. Came straight after the flood of the Tower of Babel. Anyway, uh, what's the evidence for a worldwide flood? Folks, billions of fossils showing clear evidence of rapid burial on a massive worldwide scale. Do you know some of the fossil record are so delicate like insect wings and jellyfish that they actually disappear in hours in the tropics? But what do you find? You find jellyfish perfectly preserved with all the tentacles. You know, Charles Darwin in his writings, he said, you'd never find one of those. Well, we did. With lots of them, folks. Billions of fish with the fins sticking up rigid, buried alive 
by their billions. Amazingly fast. Have a look at this fish, just caught its breakfast. Anybody here believe that looks like slow accumulation over millions of years? It's extremely rapid. Extinct ichthyosaur just given birth to its young. Amazing, rapid burial. Any, uh, anyway, I'll miss that out, but what about uh, any of the ladies here like opals, by the way? Well, we picked this up at Katoomba, and they're telling the ladies that these opals are millions of years old, folk. Well, here's a man at Lightning Ridge. He learned the mix. He just mixes up a bit of slurry in his Vegemite jars. He plonks them on the shelf. In 12 weeks, he's got a beautiful opal. Scientists cannot tell the difference. So do you think you need millions of years for opals? Anybody ever been in the caves like these uh, stalactites here? Anybody seen those? Oh, it's always got a tag on, hasn't it? Millions of years old. Folks, here's a mine that was only shut for 55 years. See the two miners down the bottom? Just have a look at the size of those stalactites in just 55 years. Do you think you need millions of years for stalactites? Obviously not. And now back Queensland, they found petrified fence posts. First, if you've been to the museum, you'll always find it's got a tag on the petrified wood, millions of years old. I mean, how can fence posts in Australia be millions of years old? I think Captain Cook didn't get there till 1770, amen? Anyway, dinosaurs went on board the ark, folks. But tell me, would you take a big one or would you take a little one? I'd take a big one, a little one, wouldn't you? Not a big one. See, dinosaurs like crocodiles come from an egg. Do you know, even the largest dinosaur, folks, that ever lived came from an egg only that big. Noah could have taken it on board the ark like a little puppy dog. Anyway, here's a baby crocodile. Who, who thinks that could go on board? Now, here's grumpy grandma. What do you think about her? <laughs> folks, that's nothing. Here's grumpy grandpa. Who'd like to come face to face with that? Folks, that was, un that, that was only shot up in the Gulf country in Queensland in 1957. It could have swallowed any person in this room with one gulp. And by the way, the jaws on that crocodile are bigger than any T-Rex jaws they've ever found in the fossil record. Who thinks that's interesting? Amen. And by the way, that crocodile is bigger than 60% of the dinosaurs that ever lived. Not all dinosaurs were really huge, you know that? Some were only as big as a chicken, some as big as a, you know, a sheep or a cow. A lot of them were quite small. In the book of Job, it describes this animal called behemoth. Behemoth had a tail like a cedar tree. Here's my wife, Nancy. There's two cedar trees. Tell me, if you had a tail like a cedar tree, would you have a big tail or a little tail? You'd have a big tail. I was reading a Bible commentary one day. You know what it said? It said it was a hippopotamus. Has anybody here seen a hippopotamus with a tail like a cedar tree? In another Bible commentary, it said it was an elephant. Has anybody ever seen an elephant with a tail like a cedar tree? Yeah. Who believes we need to be careful with Bible commentaries? Amen? A Bible commentary, folks, is not the Word of God. What's, what, what, is it, what does this animal actually look like? Well... Do you know the dinosaur? Is that true? First, when we go back into written history, we find hundreds of written accounts, people killing, being killed, describing these monsters. 
Anybody heard of the Welsh Chronicles? The oldest written history in Britain. It describes this brave king. One day the king went out to defend the city, but he went on to say the monster ate him up like a little fish. He wasn't very successful, was he? But what about St. George? He was more successful. Folks, St. George, what is St. George actually killing? Dinosaurs, a new name for? Dragon? Bishop Bell was only buried 500 years ago. We went to this cathedral. We took pictures. His two long neck, long tail dinosaurs fighting. See the, see the things on the, on the tail on the back there, the spikes on the tail? Well, he's the real ones, folks. How they do that without seeing the real ones? Nancy and I went through Europe a couple of years ago. We took pictures of dragons on ancient buildings. See this dragon here, folks? Tails curled up underneath. See the scales on that dragon? They're exactly the same as dinosaur scales that have been found in the fossil record. In, in Asia, there's a Buddhist temple. It's got a perfect picture of a stegosaurus. Anyway, in Montana and Alaska, they've actually found dinosaur bones that are still soft. They've even found the soft, smelly tissue and the red blood cells. And people who believe in evolution tell us dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. They also believe in multiple ice ages. So the earth went from hot to cold, hot to cold. Anybody here believe that stuff could last for 65 million years of hot and cold? And when I was a little boy, my mum said to me, she said, Rod, what you're going to need in life is a good dose of common sense. Anybody believe common sense is missing today? You could call it godly wisdom or pure logic. Folks, anybody with any common sense, I tell you, would never believe that stuff could last for millions of years. In fact, it's only good proof for what? A very young earth. Is that true? Not an old earth. It's proof for a young earth. Amen? Anyway, uh, why isn't the word dinosaur in the Bible, do you think? Well, you see, the word dinosaur, like the word computer, is a new name. The word dinosaur was only invented 170 years ago. King James Bible was translated 400 years ago. You won't find the word dinosaur in the Bible. What do you find? Behemoth, Leviathan, dragon. Of course, when you go back into written history of historians, you find dragon stories all the time. We haven't got time to talk about those tonight, but I tell you what, there are hundreds of them all over the world. Why have dinosaurs become extinct? It's very simple. We hunted and we killed them. For example, if you went to Tasmania, you wouldn't see a Tasmanian tiger, would you? Because we hunted them to extinction. Good job we only killed 99% of the whales. Folks, that 1% is now growing up in number. They were nearly all gone. Marco Polo, when he went through Asia, you know what he said? Tigers are an absolute pest. Hey, if you went trekking through there today, would you be worried about tigers? Not at all, folks. You might have half a dozen guides. I guarantee you probably would not see one. I went to Australia Zoo six years ago. They told me in 10 years' time, if something drastic doesn't happen, you'll not find one tiger still alive in the world, in the wild. In New Zealand, the Maori people love Kentucky Fried Malibu, folks. But guess what? They wiped them all out. 600 years ago, folks. There's none left. What's the difference between these animals being killed off and dinosaurs? No difference at all. The Bible tells us we're creating the image of God. Who believes that tonight? 
fearfully and wonderfully made. But folks, if you went to university, you did a biology course, what would your professor tell you? Something different? Let's have a look at one. We could look at heaps, but we haven't got time for one. Piltdown Man, folks, was allegedly discovered by Charles Dawson in a gravel pit in Sussex, England. But I want you to listen to the New York Times headlines. Darwin's theory proven to be true, they said. English scientists said the skull found in Sussex, Piltdown Man, now establishes human descent from apes. This was taught for 44 years, folks. Don't believe in the Bible. Don't believe in Adam and Eve. Believe in Piltdown Man. After 44 years, they had a new way to date the bones. This is what they found. The jawbone belonged to an ape that died only 50 years previously. But listen to this. The teeth had been filed down on purpose. Teeth and bones had been discoloured with bichromate of potash. It was a fraud. Why? It's very simple, folks. They're not finding the missing links. Anybody here believe they'll ever find a missing link? I want to tell you, folks, very clearly, there's no way they can find a missing link. Because in the beginning, God created mankind, the ape kind, the dog kind, the horse kind. You'll never find a missing link unless you make it up. Absolutely impossible. If Darwin's theory was true, there'd be untold millions of missing links now. All they've got is a suitcase of doubtful bones that I wouldn't believe in, I tell you. Interesting, isn't it? And don't forget, when you hear of a new missing link, Piltdown Man, well, he deceived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scientific experts for 44 years. And by the way, folks, the, the fossil record screams stasis. No change. Tell me, is a fish still a fish? Folks, you can go 50 million years back on the evolution time frame and you'll find a bat. Tell me, is it any different to a bat today? Not at all. You can go 420 million years back, you'll find a horseshoe crab. Has it changed at all from a horseshoe crab today? Not at all. Folks, all the fossil record proves is stasis, no change. Amen? Because you know why, folks? Because all those millions of years are just fictitious, just made up. And there's no proof in them whatsoever. Because, and the Bible tells us clearly that all of those fossils were laid down by the great flood of Noah about four and a half thousand years ago. Makes more sense, doesn't it? It really does. Well, what can we learn from the account of Noah, do you think? Tell me, was Noah safe in the ark? What about the people outside? They perished. God judged them. Folks, in Romans 3.23, it tells us that we've all sinned, doesn't it? Do you know what the reward of your sin is, folks? If you haven't repented and given your life to Jesus Christ, the reward of your sin is eternal separation from Almighty God. I just want to quickly give you my testimony. Folks, in my early 30s, I wasn't a Christian. My God was playing cricket and drinking too much beer. That was my God. Anyway, folks, I was at a home show one day and I bought a Bible simply because it was half price. Yeah. I took the Bible home. I started to read that Bible. I tell you what, 
I felt my life was right out of kilter with God, folks. Absolutely out of kilter with God. One day, I just remember being in the kitchen. I just felt the power of God hit me. I was on the floor for two hours, crying my eyes out. Folks, God showed me a vision of everything I'd ever done in all my life. I said to God, I I don't deserve to go to heaven. I deserve to go to hell. And then he showed me Jesus Christ on the cross. Folks, I literally saw the blood of Jesus Christ wash away every sin I'd ever committed. Do you know that's the gospel? Folks, if there's anybody here tonight that is not relying on the blood of Jesus, maybe you think you're a good person. Because the Bible says, our goodness is nowhere near good enough. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And the one who hung on that cross wasn't just a good man, was he? He wasn't just a prophet like some people think. He was a king of kings and lord of lords, folks. He was the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Because Jesus Christ was the creator of the whole universe. And he loved every one of us so much that he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'd encourage you to do so. Because none of us know if we have another day, do we? We could drive out of here and be killed in a car accident. So I'd encourage you to believe on the blood of Jesus Christ. So God bless you, folks. Thank you, Rod. Well, just as Rod was mentioning that... uh, what an amazing talk, by the way. Hey, can we just give him another great hand? And thank you, Nancy. I actually want to take on from what, where Rod left off. Um, and I want us to think about right now, where are we at with all of what Rod shared tonight? You know, why does it matter if this story about the ark is true or not? Well, it matters because either the Bible is true or it's not. Either the words that, he's, that Rod's spoken tonight, the scriptures that he's talked about, either it's true or it's not. Deep down in our hearts, the word says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. So we know if we take, if we take a moment in, this, in the busyness of life to actually consider the concept of eternity, we know whether or not it's real or not because God's already placed it there within us. The trouble is that we might have had experiences of, of religion. We might have had different things go on in our past. Like Rod said, his experience was he felt like he just, he wasn't good enough to go to heaven. And there's been some wrong teaching on this in the church. I'm here to tell you tonight the amazing news is that It's not about anything that we have to do except to receive the free gift of grace and believe that Jesus died for our sin, that He became the door. You know, you can go through and you can read the Bible and you can see in the Old Testament what had to happen in order for people to become back in right standing with God after the sin of Adam. 
all the sacrifices, like Rod talked about, that, that, that the Israelites did. Because God hates sin, but He loves us. The Bible says He loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, not so that we could be condemned, but so that we might be saved. So if you, everyone could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And I want to take this opportunity to allow you all to think about that for a second. Think about the concept of eternity. And really, I find that it's summed up in this one phrase, do you have peace with God? Because that's what receiving the gift of salvation brings into your heart and into your life, is it brings peace of knowing that your sin has been washed away and that God has made you righteous. You may have made this decision before. You may have never heard the gospel message before. To respond to this question and this prayer doesn't necessarily mean that you've all of a sudden got to start walking life like a saint. What it means is you're acknowledging your need for a Saviour and making a decision to learn and to understand what it is to live life in relationship and connection with God. So if that speaks to you tonight, if you want to just make your peace with God, whatever that looks like for you. I'd just love you to slip up your hand. I'll see it and you can put it back down and then we're going to say a prayer together as a congregation. Is there anyone here tonight that just wants to make a, a declaration? Pray a prayer. Make peace with God and begin a journey walking in relationship with Him. Awesome. We're good. All right, you can look at me. Well, if, if, if there was something going on in your heart there and you didn't feel like you just wanted to make that commitment, then I encourage you to talk to someone Ask questions, because this is truth. And there's a war going on in our world at the moment for truth. Amen? And so we've got to get a hold of these resources. We've got to share the gospel message. We've got to share the good news and challenge people. Get some answers. Get some of these resources. Rod's going to come back up in a minute and share a little bit about uh, some of the resources that he's got with him. And uh, we're going to be able to get... Make, us, make yourselves available to those out in the foyer afterwards. But before we do that, we want to take up a love offering for Rod. There's some great ways that you can partner with his ministry through the resources. But we also, we love to make an opportunity for you to partner with uh, visiting ministries that come in through the way of a love offering. Because there's a supernatural transaction that happens when you give sacrificially without expecting anything in return. The Bible says that as you give, so it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, you know, 10, 50, 100 fold. So 
We're going to have, to have that opportunity now. The baskets uh, are going to go around. I'm just going to pray over that offering as you give. Father God, we thank You for this ministry. We thank You for Rod and Nancy Walsh and all that they are doing. Father, we declare length of days over them, Lord, that they can continue to share the good news and the truth about history. And Father, we thank You for this offering tonight that we'll sow into this ministry. It will be multiplied. And I pray, Lord, as we give, that it will be multiplied back to us. Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Where's my team? Am I missing anything else? I think we're good, eh? We're good. Rod, why don't you come back and quickly share about a couple of the resources that you've got, uh, and then we might finish with a song team. Is that cool? Awesome. Oh, and after the service, Rod and Nancy they really want to take a bit of time to meet you, to come down and check out the, the ark, the stuff that he's got, and ask questions. Don't leave with any questions unanswered tonight. Hang around and uh, he'll, he'll be down the side of stage. He's happy to answer any questions that you've got. Um, so make, make, that, uh, make use of that as well. Good. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, folks, uh, um, not going to take too long on these tonight, but I just want to mention that uh, hands up, anybody gets Creation Magazine? So it's an amazing magazine. It was actually uh, started by an Adelaide doctor uh, in the 1970s. Goes to 110 countries around the world now. Written by scientists, but in layman's terms. Uh, brilliant short articles to equip you and uh, really build your faith. Uh, it's also a beautiful illustrated full, full colour magazine with a special children's section. And uh, just by itself, I won't go into detail tonight, but it's an amazing soul winner, I tell you. I'll give you a few examples this morning, but I've had lots of people come up and tell me they come to Christ through Creation Magazine. So if you sign up tonight, folks, only $35 for a year's subscription. You get a back copy of the magazine because um, if you pay $35 tonight uh, for a new subscription or you add on to your existing one or give somebody a gift, a gift subscription, because what we're going to do is give you $40 worth of free resources. So you get a back copy of the magazine. You also get a, a nice picture of Noah's Ark. I encourage you to, you know, put it up in a frame. And you can do evangelism. You know, invite your neighbours in, folks, and uh, put these things up. And uh, i tell you what, they'll open the uh, conversation. Even this little uh, money box uh, Model Ark has been used as a soul winner. So uh, make sure you uh, get the whole package. You get that for free. You get actually a timeline of world history. Folks, amazing history of the whole world. Uh, not only has biblical dates, it's also got secular dates. And every Christian should be really familiar with the true history of the world. Amen. So you get that for free. Uh, you also get, uh, if I can find it, you get my DVD for free. Uh, this has been used as soul winner and people have come to Christ and uh, we've had uh, great feedback on that. And also our little booklet, which is a true story of Noah's Ark. And uh, it's got lots of information pages in there as well. So you get all that for free if you sign up for one year's Creation Magazine. Okay, and if you'd like to do a really good deal, and that is sign up for three years, we're going to throw in two more DVDs. Uh, the first one is called Fallout. Students explain why they left church or remained in church. So you get that for free. And also Rapid Rocks by Taz Walker. So if you do a three-year subscription. Lots of books out there and DVDs. 
is a great one called Evolution's Achilles Heels. 15 PhD scientists explain evolution's fatal flaws in areas that evolution thinks are the best arguments, folks. Amazing. This is good for every Christian as well, I tell you. I find uh, most Christians don't understand um, about aliens. So get this alien one, folks. It's a great DVD and, and will give you a clear understanding of the truth about aliens. Now, everybody needs to know the answers. Is that true? Well, folks, buy the answers book. What a great little book, I tell you. And who would like the answers book for free? Well, buy the pack. It's got a, there's another great book, Refuting Evolution by Jonathan Savity. This guy, I've seen him play 43 people simultaneously at chess like they never existed. And by the way, Richard Dawkins will not debate him. That's part of that pack. So a great book here on uh, defending Genesis. Who thinks we should defend Genesis? Amen. They're the ones under attack. Uh, if you want a great coffee table book or children's book, have a look at this one. It's called The True Story of Noah's Ark. Who wants to know all the truth about the geology of the flood, all the fossils and how everything was laid down and, 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 and changed by the flood? Well, buy this for your children or your grandchildren. But before you pass it on, have a read yourself. Many adults will learn a lot from that book, I tell you. And of course, with Christmas coming up, if you've got grandchildren... What a great pack. Here we have uh, five children's books and, of course, uh, $75 worth for only $45. I think every child should have a real dino book. Who believes that? Not only child, folks. Every parent should too, I tell you. Uh, we've got some great dinosaur books, as you can see. And, uh, you know, I was having tea one night with a pastor and his wife, and pastor's wife was sitting opposite me. And... Uh, Anyway, they had a little boy about 10 years of age. He come up, he said, Mr. Walsh, you want to look at my dino book? Well, the kid come up and he knew a lot about dinos, but not the truth, by the way. But after a little while, this little boy got very serious with me. He said, Mr. Walsh, do you know we've evolved from apes? Well, I looked at his mother, pastor's wife. She, she nearly fell off the chair, folks, because she had no idea what a little boy was reading. He was actually being poisoned by false information. It's interesting. In Colossians 2 verse 8, it says this. It's a warning. Beware, it says. Make sure that you're not deceived by the teachings of men, the teachings of the world that differ from the teachings of Christ. Folks, it's so important that all the books and the things that we watch agree with Jesus' teachings. Amen? Because we're living in days, folks, when this Scripture is more pertinent, I tell you, than ever in the history of the, whole, of the whole world. So I encourage you with the magazine, encourage you with the uh, books. Uh, come up and see me uh, after the meeting. If you've got questions, I don't mind being here till midnight as long as Jeremy doesn't mind. No, Joe might stay behind. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is that right, Joe? She's a real goer, I tell you. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I did uh, England earlier this year. I, that happened to me. I was here. I was there at midnight. Okay. Well, God bless and come up come up and see me after the meeting.